Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Recorded live. Hey, it's Mike. It's old religion dystopia. Knowing versus belief uh, still is uh, on the second, the 18th of May, allegedly 2017, and it's been an extremely hot and humid day. Whew. I have to tell you something, too. It's just a weird, high strangeness. This world is high strangeness. All the things that I've decided to look into doesn't make the other stuff look any better. Things of this world are pretty whacked, and the things, the, uh, I guess, the other world, the pretty whacked. It's just a weird nice well, weird journey, that's all I gotta say. Other question marks other question marks about early Islam. Back to reading is uh, a guide to the Phantom Dark Age and Scott. If the questions raised about Islam's early expansion outlined above seem dramatic, then the even greater questions which have recently emerged regarding the origins of Islam and even the life of Muhammad will seem sensational, generated by the current uh, topicality of Islam the past few years have seen a proliferation of studies into the faith's roots studies which have begun to subject it to the same critical examination that Christianity has undergone now for centuries for a century and a half the results of these studies have revealed that almost everything traditionally accepted about Islam's origins cannot stand up to criticism. It has been shown, for example, that the Quran cannot possibly have been written when tradition says it was and that the very existence of a man called Muhammad is called into question. The numerous titles which have appeared recently include, in uh, particular, 
the Syro-Aramaic reading of the Quran, the co- a contribution to decoding the language of the Quran by Christopher Luxembourg in 2007, and the hidden origins of Islam, new research into the early history, a series of essays edited by Carl Heinz Oleg and Gerd R. or Gerd R. Uh, Pun in 2009. Upon the pu- publication of Luxburg's book, the popular media, perhaps typically focused on his claim that the 72 virgins promised to Islamic martyrs was a mistranslation and that what was actually on offer was 72 raisins or grapes. Yet this was the very least of what Luxembourg was saying, the full import of which was ignored by the newspapers. In fact, he was claiming that the original language of the Quran was not Arabic, where questionable words, where the questionable word is read as virgins, but Syriatic or Aramaic. Aramaic. <laughs> Aramaic. Aramaic. Oh my gosh. Instead of Arabic, Aramaic. Where the same word would translate as grapes, he was furthermore claiming sensationally enough that the Quran was originally a Syriac, a Syriac Christian devotional text and had nothing to do with Muhammad or Islam. Taking a lead from Luxembourg, several more recent studies have denied the existence of anyone called Muhammad. In the first place, amongst the best known of these are Norbert Pressburg's Goodbye Muhammad in 2009 and Robert Spencer's Did Muhammad Exist? An Inquiry into Islam's Obscure Origins, 2012. Spencer and Pressburg are seen as critics of Islam. Their books examine the evidence both archaeological and textual in a scholarly fashion and the conclusions they reach are devastating to the accepted narrative of Islam's origins and early history. Some of the earliest recognizable Muslim artifacts as we saw above are coins and Spencer and Pressburg's books Consider the evidence of these in detail. There we find that 
not all early Islamic mints were based on um, Persian prototypes. Some from Syria look more Byzantine in appearance. The first of these, astonishingly enough, shows a figure holding a cross. Some of these coins, the earliest of which are from the time of Caliph Muawiyah, and traditionally dated between 661 and 672, have the name Muhammad beside a figure with a cross. Not surprisingly, these artifacts do not figure prominently in popularized accounts of the development of the Islamic coinage, and they are far too problematic. To begin with, they violate a number of principles which are now regarded as fundamental to the Islamic faith. They display an image, perhaps even that of the Prophet Muhammad, and even worse, they have that image holding a cross. Among Muslims, the cross is anathema. It is an anti-sign. Islamic tradition denies that Jesus, whom it admits was a prophet, died on the cross and and disassociates Jesus entirely from one and it considers a symbol of shame. <laughs> Eventually, when these... Here's the problem. This argument about the Islam and the Quran or whatever and saying that Jesus is a good prophet... Well, uh, you can't be a good, uh, a good prophet and a liar. If you're caught lying, then you're not a prophet. And Jesus said that he was the only begotten that came in the flesh, the Son of God, which is blasphemy according to Muslims, I thought, which then means that not <laughs> another reason why uh, the Quran is uh, not what it's purported to be, but then again, no holy books seem to be that way, do they? Evidently, when these coins were minted in the middle of the 7th century, the Islamic theology with which we are now familiar had not evolved. But there is even worse. It would appear that the figure holding the cross besides, which sometimes appears the name Muhammad, may not represent the prophet of Islam at all, but Jesus. As Spencer emphasizes, the word Muhammad in Arabic and Syriatic implies the praised one or chosen one and may be a title or epithet as much as a real name. As a personal name, Muhammad is in fact unattested 
before the 7th century. And indeed, considering the, the word's meaning, it is unlikely that anyone named Muhammad ever existed in Arabia before this time. Parents do not normally call their children by titles such as chosen one. In short, even if an Arab prophet or war leader called Muhammad existed, it is highly likely that this name was only
uh, patristic literature is applied to our Lord himself. The original bearer of the title, praised one, said, Gil Lame, or Gil Lam. Jesus and this title and the accompanying prophecy were skillfully manipulated to provide the reader the reading we have in Ebb Shack's biography. When and I don't know if I'm saying his name right, I'm sorry. But then again I probably haven't said anybody's name right in this whole book, so what can all this possibly mean? It is possible that the, quote, Prophet Muhammad Muhammad was invented several decades after Islam, or the faith we now call Islam appeared on the world stage. This is the possibility considered by Spencer, and he provides a very good grounds for doing so. As Spencer notes, none of the early texts and inscriptions of the 7th century, which refer to Muslims, mention either Muhammad, the Quran, or even the word Islam. Indeed, inscriptions, both on coins and elsewhere, of the early Islamic authorities use terms and expressions not found in the Quran. This, among other things, has prompted several historians to suggest that the Quran did not then exist and would not exist until near the end of the 7th century and even the early 8th century. The evidence taken together would suggest that Islam, which conquered the Middle East and North Africa during the 7th century, was substantially different from the Islam with which we are now familiar. Rules such as prohibiting images and the cross apparently did not then exist. And there are good reasons to believe that the Quran, as we now know it, had not yet appeared. It would not appear until the middle of the 8th century. That Islam was deeply indebted to Judaism and to a much lesser extent, Christianity has, of course, always been understood. The whole of the Quran is full of references of well-known biblical characters such as Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. Muslims accept all of the Old Testament and divinely revealed scripture and hold Jesus to be a great prophet. But a liar. <laughs> then it can't be a great prophet. Our tradition speaks of the quote last days when the Antichrist will appear and when Jesus would return to judge mankind and destroy evildoers, which the immediate message must have happened at Jesus the generation. So what do you do with that now? All right, but the more we investigate the faith, the more thoroughly rooted 
and Judaism and Judeo-Christianity it appears as Spencer notes the earliest reference to the followers of what we now call Islam by non-Muslims do not use the term Muslim or Islam at all but instead speak of Ishmaelites and Hagarines and Tayyai I never could have Tayyai and Sarin Saracens excuse me Saracens the first two of these names are biblical indeed is Islamic cultural vocabulary owes it owes little to Arabia there is scarcely a trace of native Arabian tradition in either the Quran or in the Hadith and the words of Arthur Jeffrey the cultural vocabulary of the Quran is of non-Arabic origin he continues from the fact that Muhammad was an Arab brought up in the midst of the Arabian paganism and practicing its rites himself until well into manhood one would naturally have expected to find that Islam had its roots deep down in this old Arabian paganism it comes therefore as little surprise as no little surprise to find how little of the religious life of the Arabian paganism is reflected in in the pages of the Quran indeed so little of Islam can be traced to Arabia that Luxembourg and several other commentators have suggested that we should seek to its origins in the broader border regions of Israel and Syria <clears throat> and that other people will say that it was Rome itself that created it priests of Rome Islam's cultural roots are in fact almost ent entirely Judaic the Torah the first five books of the Bible which are said to have been written by Moses except the fact that Moses wrote his own obituary so that can't be the case now can it are accepted completely in divine revelation and the laws outlined in the Torah explicitly especially excuse me in Leviticus and Deuteronomy 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 oh. find their precise equivalence in Islamic law indeed the Jewish origins of the Islamic moral and temporal law are well known and, and obvious this strict mono, monotheism of the Torah is matched by that of the Quran and divine injunction to conquer the promised land found in the Torah is matched by the divine injunction of the Quran 
to conquer the world for Islam, just as in Judaism, and as in Christianity. Man, are we screwed. Laws concerning divorce and adultery are identical in both religions. Both have circumcision. Even laws governing food are the same. Food are the same. With the same foods prescribed and permitted and the same methods of slaughter recommended. All of this leads to this suspicion that Islam was in origin a sect of Judaism and this was the position adopted in the mid-12th century by uh, Patricia uh, Krohn and Michael Crook. However, since Islam also honors Jesus and I or Isa, then the the purely Judaic origin of the faith was called into question, and several writers, among them Gunter Luling and Christopher Lux, Luxembourg, proposed instead that it grew out of Jewish a Jewish branch of Christianity. We know, in fact, that several Judaizing sects of Christianity existed in the first century. These basically regarded Jesus as an Orthodox Jew and demanded their followers to accept the laws of Moses. The best known of such groups was, as we saw, that of the Ebionites or Nazarites. We know for certain that by the 5th century, these, there existed large Nazarite communities throughout the Arabian Peninsula. Indeed, so prevalent were they that, they, that we may justifiably designate their beliefs as Arab Christianity. Amongst them, Jesus was accepted as the Messiah, but not the Son of God, and was the messenger of God, and was portrayed as a faithful follower of the Mosaic Code. The Gospels were not accepted as accurate accounts of the life of Jesus and others, and alternative Gospels were used instead. In short centuries before the supposed life of the prophet Muhammad, there seems to have existed within Arabia the thriving religious movement which might be described as proto-Islam. The Ebionites were strongly Jewish, and Judaism and its origins was a militant faith. Throughout the first century B.C. and A.D., leaders claiming to be the Messiah appeared regularly among the Jews, stirring up ruinous rebellions against the power of Rome. The idea that Messiah would be a military commander was central to Jewish religious ideas of the time. A peaceful and suffering Messiah did not figure in their thinking. Even the disciple of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, after their crucifixion, are said to have asked him when he would restore the kingdom of Israel 
to independence. It is highly likely that these attitudes were shared by the Ibionites, who thus adhered to most of the beliefs and practices we now consider Muslim. Islamic tradition itself admits that the Ibionite Christians of Arabia were among the first and most fervent followers of the new faith, and Arab historians named the Ibionite named an Ebionite monk, Warreka Ibnufal, as one of the earliest converts to Islam. But even admitting the strongly Jewish tone of Ebionitism, or Proto-Islam, Islam, how are we to account for the transformation of a Christian Jesus, the honored one, or Muhammad among the Ebionites, into a warlike prophet of the Islamic Quran? The answer is this. I believe it is found in the identity of the name Jesus, or Joshua. In English, of course, these two look quite different. In Hebrew, they are one and the same. Yahushua, Jesus, is the English of the Greek translation of Yahushua by Latin. Now, Jesus in the New Testament may have been a pacifist, but Yahushua in the Old Testament was anything but. It was he who led the Israelite tribes after the death of Moses and traveled with them across the river Jordan from Arabia, no less, into the land of Canaan. In Canaan, he prosecuted a war to extermination, of extermination against the natives. In doing so, we are told, he was carrying out a divine injunction. The Arabs of the 6th and 7th century were almost entirely illiterate. In the middle of illiterates, stories from one part of a book are easily conflated with stories from others, from another. Since the Ebionite faith, in any case, stressed obedience to the law of Moses in its entirety, the such injunctions as an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and the stoning of women to death for adultery and since they also had that Jesus commanded held that Jesus commanded obedience to these laws it would have been the easiest thing in the world to confuse Jesus with Joshua who also remember was an obedient follower of the Mosaic Code. And this surmise is startlingly confirmed by the fact that the Quran, Mariam, the mother of Isa, or Jesus, is the sister of Moses' and Aaron. In other words, 
it is beyond question that Islam has confused and conflated events of the Bible, which are in fact separated from each other by many centuries. And what then are the origins of the Quran, the holy book supposed by Muslims to have been given to Muhammad by uh, an angel, Gabriel? Anyone who has read the Muslim holy book will recognize at once that it is a puzzling document. It is not a story or narrative in the normal sense, but a series of apparently unrelated incidents and statements. Muslims themselves only understand the Quran by allusion to the Hadith and enormous collection of traditions about the life of Muhammad, which incidentally explain the obscure events and statements of the Quran. The Hadith, however, did not begin to appear until around the a century after the supposed date of Muhammad's death. And it is well known that there existed for several centuries a venerable industry of Hadith composition. Muslim scholars themselves admit that the vast majority of these were fakes and would appear that the Abbasid Caliphs sponsored the production of Hadith during the 8th and 9th centuries of political, for political reasons. Numerous of these Hadiths actually contradict each other in treating of one and the same statement of the Quran. But even with the help of the Hadiths, the Quran remains a strange and puzzling text. Whole sentences and paragraphs seem to make no sense at all. Philologist Ger R. Pun expressed a typical opinion when he stated that every fifth sentence or so, the Quran simply doesn't make sense. Why? Could it be that it was originally composed in a language other than Arabic and imperfectly translated into a latter tongue. That is increasingly the position adopted by the scholarly community, and the suspicion is greatly stressed by the discovery that the names in the Quran consistently show signs of having been derived from Syriatic. Syriatic was an ancient language of large parts of the Middle East, a dialect of Aramaic, which would, which had been the lingua uh, franca of the region since the time of Achia Menid Persian Empire, Syriac closely related to Arabic, but significantly different to cause confusion if not properly understood. The deeper scholars have examined the Quran, and the more clear its 
seratic roots have come, all passages and incidents which have defied the best efforts of scholars throughout the centuries to comprehend so they make perfect sense if read in seratic. Thus, for example, the Quran and Quran 1924, we read, Then one cried unto her from her, saying, Grieve not, thy Lord hath placed a, a refuge beneath thee. It is unclear from the text who is speaking, perhaps a newborn Jesus or someone else, and the significance of the revelate, quote, is utterly puzzling. However, read as a seriatic text, we find that it refers to the virgin birth of Jesus, thus the infant Jesus, who speaks elsewhere in the Quran, tells Mary, do not be sad, your Lord hath made you delivered, your delivery legitimate. Indeed, read the Syriatic document, the Quran not only loses its obscurity, but it rapidly reveals revealed as a Christian devotional text, a lectionary. That, at least, is the opinion of two of the greatest philologists of the field, Gunter Luling and Christopher Luxemburg. And the words of the latter, if Quran really means lectionary, then one can assume that the Quran intended itself, first of all, to be understood as nothing more than a liturgical, liturgical, nothing more than a liturgical book with selected texts from the scriptures, the Old and New Testament, and not at all as a substitute for the scriptures themselves. Even even events which have traditionally been understood by Muslims as referring to uh, crucial events of the life of Muhammad reveal themselves upon transcription into Syriatic as events of the life of Jesus. And the words of Robert Spencer, many of Quran's most obscure passages begin to make sense when read in the light of having a foundation in Christian theology. For example, there is an enigmatic surah on the night of power, al-Qadar, or power, the night when Muhammad supposedly received the Quran from the angel Gabriel. Behold, we sent it down on the night of power. And what shall teach thee what is the night of power? The night of power is better than a thousand months. And if the angels and the spirits descend by the leave of their Lord upon every um, command, peace it is till the rising of the dawn.
ran uh, or Surah 97 1-5 I guess Muslims associate the night of power with the first appearance of Gabriel to Muhammad and the first revelation in the Quran and they commemorate this dur- night during the fasting month of Ramadan but the Quran makes no explicit connection between the night of power and the revelation of the Quran. The book doesn't explain what the night of power is, except to say that it is the night on which the angels, not just one angel, and the spirits descend and proclaim peace. light of the Quran and Surahic Christian roots, there is another possible interpretation. Surah 97 refers to refers to Christmas. Anyways, we'll get back to doing this. I'll do another part. I didn't even know they were celebrating Christmas back then, did you? No, I don't think they were. Anyways, plugging along. Page 115. Looks to me like easily 50 plus pages to go. And we'll get her done. Then I'll move on to a couple more readings. What it is, I, the next reading will be, I don't know. I don't know. I guess, too. Um, yeah, uh, I'll probably will be back in an hour to do another reading and go from there. I want to get this book done this week before it's due back and then uh, we'll go from there. And that's that. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.